You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. As a journalist, I spend a lot of time writing. It can be frustrating, but it can be really fun and creative and lead you in all kinds of surprising directions. It feels like it's me at my most human. But a few months ago, Kelsey Piper, another reporter here at Vox, showed me something that made me wonder if writing was that human of a skill after all. It's a new artificial intelligence model called GPT-2. No relation to other D2s. It writes unnervingly like a human. Kelsey got to give GPT-2 a spin. She fed the model a sentence or two, and then it took it from there and wrote its own paragraph. See if you can tell where her writing stops and the AI writing begins. Artificial intelligence is changing our lives in the fastest and most positive way possible. Artificial intelligence will allow intelligent robots and computers to work alongside us and can even give us the ability to work alongside other intelligent agents, whether they will be humans or machines. This is the future, and the field of AI is going places we could only have guessed at. So, Kelsey, where in that paragraph did the AI take over? Oh, all of that was written by the AI. For real? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm genuinely surprised by that. How did they get this good? In the last couple of years, we've seen some major gains in what machine learning lets us do. So GPT-2 will introduce an expert in paragraph one and then bring the expert back in paragraph four. It can pepper its writing with all of these details that make it read like the real thing. Which seems pretty cool. Pretty harmless, even. But... The people who made this model, they're not putting it out into the world because they're genuinely worried about what it could do. From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect, a show about people trying to do good. I'm Dylan Matthews. Today, why are the people who made a writing bot so worried about what it could do? The short answer is, they think that artificial intelligence models, like this one, can have major unintended consequences. And that's an idea that's moved from the fringe to the mainstream, with the help of philanthropy. All season, we've been digging into donors and their donations, and there's a lot to dig into. Eccentric billionaires with eccentric interests have a profound effect on the world around us, and that raises questions in a democracy. But sometimes, Sometimes very eccentric people can spot a problem with the world before the rest of us can. And they will donate to that problem when governments and businesses are still ignoring it. A problem like, say, killer robots. But let's start with the basics. What is artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is a word that's used for pretty much all examples of making computer systems that have intelligent capabilities that can speak, understand speech, 
recognize images, solve problems in the world, any of that. Siri or your Facebook newsfeed run on AI that's meant to interpret your voice or figure out which of your friends' posts you want to see. For many companies, the end goal isn't to build an AI that can just do one thing, like write or interpret text, but to build an AI that can do lots of different things and do them well and learn to do more. A lot of people believe that AI can enable technical innovations that are as hard to anticipate in advance as maybe the Internet would have been for people in the 1940s or 50s. So major transformations to how we produce energy, how we produce goods. Some people are hopeful that AI could end scarcity or revolutionize medicine. That could be fantastic. But major transformations can also be really disruptive. AI might have unintended consequences, like taking our jobs or messing with our privacy. Or worse, there are serious researchers who think that AI could lead to people dying. Lots of people. Today, this is a pretty mainstream idea. It gets a lot of mentions in any roundup by AI experts of their thinking on AI. And so it's easy to forget that, yeah, a decade ago, this was a pretty fringe position. If you hear this kind of thing and your reaction is like, Come on, killer robots, really? That just sounds like science fiction. Don't worry. You're part of a long tradition of dismissing the real-world dangers of AI. The founders of the field wrote papers in which they said as an aside, yes, this will probably like transform human civilization and maybe kill us, but it was not <laughs> <laughs> it was an aside in papers about other topics. It's kind of incredible. But in the last decade or so, something has started to change. AI risks stop being a footnote in papers because a small group of people and a small group of donors started to believe that the risks were real. Some people started saying, wait, if this is true, it should be our highest priority and we should be working on it. And those were mostly fringe people. Very, very fringe people, especially in the beginning. A significant driver of the focus on AI was Eliezer Yudkowsky, who's a self-taught... Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to describe what he is. <laughs> Eliezer Yudkowsky is so far on the fringe that he kind of defies categorization. But Kelsey did her best to explain his role in outlining the dangers of AI. Eliezer Yudkowsky, who was a blogger who wrote about human rationality and machines and science fiction in the future, and who started arguing, the case for this is actually quite solid. Everybody should be taking it seriously. But most people who write essays that they want the world to take seriously aren't also trying to communicate those ideas through fan fiction. Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Eliezer decided that he was going to convert the world to the cause of human rationality by writing a 2,000-page Harry Potter fanfic. Professor McGonagall turned into a cat. Harry scrambled back unthinkingly. You can't do that! It's only a transfiguration, said Professor McGonagall. You turn into a cat! A small cat! You violated conservation of energy! That's not an arbitrary rule. It's implied by the form of the quantum Hamiltonian. Rejecting it destroys unitarity. Believe it or not, this fanfic was widely read. It put Eliezer on people's radar. They started reading his essays, too. Essays about things like the dangers of AI. And among those readers, there were some people with the power and the money 
to take fears about AI one step closer to the mainstream. Yeah, so, and here's where maybe this is of particular interest to Future Perfect, is a few eccentric philanthropists were persuaded by this. And they said, yeah, funding, you know, one small research institute to look at AI safety and take this seriously and try and pitch it to a more mainstream audience is absolutely worth it, given the potential stakes if these out there people are dead right. One of the eccentric philanthropists inspired by these out there people, Jan Tallinn, a founding engineer at Skype. One second. Uh, yep, I can hear you. Hi, Jan. Uh, great to meet you. We video chatted with Jan on Skype, and he was kind of everything you would imagine an eccentric tech guy to be. He was sitting in this white room with a white couch, white curtains. The main pop of color was a stylized photograph of an Estonian swamp. Jan told us that about a decade ago, he was reading some stuff online. Then I stumbled upon Eliezer Yudkowsky's writings on the internet uh, that kind of found really compelling. Yes, the same Eliezer Yudkowsky with the Harry Potter fan fiction. Though Tallinn was reading his essays. He had uh, written about like 1,000 essays. And while plenty of people to this day dismiss Eliezer Yudkowsky as way too out there for consideration, Jan Tallinn isn't most people. He approaches ideas differently. I'm a programmer and I uh, read what people say and what arguments they make as if they were programs. So that's how he read Eliezer's AI essays, looking for bugs in the logic of the arguments. And I just couldn't find any bugs in them. The overall idea that caught my attention that I never had kind of thought about uh, was that the future might be like really, really weird. As we kind of hand over that future to uh, non-human minds, we are seeing a end of an era during which human brain has been the main shaper of the future. Reading these essays, Jan Talon started to think that AI could really hurt us. And to be clear, he wasn't thinking of this like... In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. The Terminator. Almost all the movies, they have this problem that they have to be interesting. And the end of the world is likely going to be rather uninteresting. I was sort of startled by this, and so was my producer, Bird. What do you mean by the end of the world is probably going to be very uninteresting? Like, the world's ending. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like... Interesting for a movie, it has to be dramatic. There has to be a chance of winning this thing. And there's like, a, you have to have like heroes and you basically show like human ingenuity and somehow and compassion and whatnot. And then you basically prevail. Terminator is great for drama, but it's not really likely that we'll have to face an android muscle man with an arm he can turn into a sword and lots of plasma weapons. Jan is more worried that we'll build some non-humanoid AI. Just a program in a box with zero plasma involved. And we'll do it poorly. This AI will have no emotions. It will not hate us. It will just follow a set of instructions a little too well. This is the voice of world control. If Jan had to promote an AI movie, it would be Colossus the Forbin Project. It's a movie about a hyper-rational artificial intelligence gone wrong. The object in constructing me was to prevent war. I will not permit war. I will restrain mass. 
The AI's goal is to eliminate the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the U.S. And basically how it ended was that the AIs on both sides negotiated the deal and kind of brushed humanity on the side. By brush humanity aside, Jan means that the AI decides that the best way to bring peace is to stop letting humans run things. It takes over and fully restricts humankind's freedom. Picture a robot nanny state. You have consumed enough alcohol for one evening. What's the penalty for getting drunk? Or haven't you programmed that yet? You are being irrational. Go back to bed. The movie is still too dramatic for Jan's taste, but closer to the kind of scenario that he worries about. And unlike most people who worry, Jan has lots and lots of money. So in the early 2010s, he started putting a bunch of that money into AI risk prevention. He put millions of dollars, not into one big organization, but into several different ones, each with a different focus. That's the more rational approach, after all. Not just putting all the eggs in one basket, because the future is like really uncertain. Like, uh, there are like some fundamental parameters about AI that we just don't know. Robot wars, they are coming. Artificial intelligence could be taking over our jobs. These surveillance cameras in China are tracking and identifying citizens in real time. Neighborhood watchers watching everybody's every move. We're already seeing some downsides to AI. But there are other scenarios that could make AIs even more dangerous. Yeah, so here are a couple examples. Every year, the Pentagon discovers some bugs in their system that make them vulnerable to cybersecurity attacks. Shall we play a game? Usually they discover those before any outsiders do, and they're therefore able to handle them. But if an AI system were sufficiently sophisticated, it could maybe identify the bugs that the Pentagon wouldn't discover for years to come, and therefore be able to do things like make it look to the U.S. government like we're being attacked by a foreign nuclear power. How about global thermonuclear or make it look to a foreign nuclear power like they're being attacked by us. And with so many nuclear powers out there, you only need one with an insecure system for a sufficiently intelligent AI to be able to simulate the concerning behaviors that might prompt someone to launch a nuke in retaliation. So maybe AI is intentionally used to find and exploit weaknesses in military bases. That's one of the less out there scenarios. Then there's the war games plot where AI misunderstands and accidentally makes a country think that it's in a nuclear war. Also possible. The thing Jan Tallinn suggested, the unemotional robot wiping us out while following instructions, that's a little further out on the fringe of possibility. If you develop an AI with a goal that sounds reasonable, like change how we do drug development and cure cancer. And AI might not value the same things humans value. Like, we wouldn't want to cure cancer by killing everybody. The cancer has been eliminated. You can play a little bit of a game of whack-a-mole here, where you say, okay, cure cancer, don't kill anybody, and don't let us get in any situation where we can't continue to go about our normal lives. The AI puts us all on a computer where we can run artificially and are at no risk of cancer or of death. The cancer has been eliminated. And, you know, I can't think of all the things that might go wrong, but that's the point. If we're in the position of trying to think of all the things that might go wrong, then in some ways we're already on territory that doesn't seem very safe for humanity. So... To recap what we've learned so far about deadly AI consequences, we have the extremely unrealistic scenario, 
Robots develop emotions and kill people. The Terminator. It's a strange to have made something that hates you. That thing threw somebody out of a window. Is that registering with you? That's not really in the space of accidents that happen with machine learning. Accidents that could happen with machine learning include, but are not limited to, AI being used to find weak spots in the Pentagon's digital defenses and start a nuclear war. Shall we play a game? More likely. And badly programmed AI accidentally killing people to achieve the task it's been given. I will restrain Less likely, but still possible. Maybe all of these scenarios sound just as unrealistic as the plasma robots to you. But Jan Talen doesn't need to wait for you to be convinced. He isn't a politician looking to get elected, or an entrepreneur looking for funding. He's one eccentric individual who got persuaded by a kind of fringe blogger. And he has lots of money to spend. After the break, how the foundations he helps fund made AI risk fears more mainstream. At the very top of the show, we introduced you to GPT-2. It's an AI that is very good at writing like a human being. And it's also a very good example of how philanthropic donations from people like Jan Talen have reshaped our approach to AI. The organization that made GPT-2 is called OpenAI. OpenAI got funding from Jan Talen, among many others. And their mission is not just to create artificial intelligence but also to make sure that the artificial intelligence it creates doesn't make things worse for humanity. They're thinking about, as we make progress in AI, as we develop these systems with new capabilities, as we're able to do all these new things, what's a responsible process for letting our inventions into the world? What does being safe and responsible here look like? And that's just not something anybody's thought about very much. You know, they haven't really asked, what is the safe and responsible approach to this? And when OpenAI started thinking about being responsible, they realized, oh man, that means we should hold off on releasing GPT-2. GPT-2, of course, is not going to start any wars or kill anybody, but it still poses sort of risks in the sense that we haven't really thought through all of its implications. We've seen what happens when people don't consider the potential fallout from new technologies. The Russians used bots to interfere with the 2016 election. Growth at all costs and selling your privacy to make money. Meanwhile, YouTube has been reportedly recommending disturbing videos to children. It's almost epitomized by the phrase, move fast and break things. GPT-2 could have problems too. It seems like it could easily be used to generate vast quantities of fake news or to plagiarize essays trivially or to make more convincing spam. The sense I got when I met with the GPT-2 team is that they're very excited for the world to get to see what they did. And they're hoping at some point to be able to release it. But they're putting on the brakes because they feel like we need to start thinking about what does responsible disclosure in a field with these powerful and troubling implications look like? And you have to start that somewhere. You have to say, all right, this is the invention where we're going to say, we're not releasing this because we're concerned. Let's have a public conversation about what safe use looks like. 
and then maybe released down the road after that conversation has concluded. It's kind of reassuring that this organization is a voice at the table saying, hey, let's take this just a little slower. And the contributions from donors like Jan Tallinn, they helped put that cautionary voice at the table. And they put them there early. You know, I think it mattered. I think that the conversation we're having now is probably more sophisticated, more careful, a little more aware of some of the risks than it would be if, you know, there hadn't been these groups starting 10, 15 years ago to start this conversation. I think AI is one of those cases where something was always going to be funded only from the fringe and where it really did matter that it got that funding from the fringe. And here, the relative unaccountability of foundations can be turned from a kind of vice into a virtue. Rob Reich is a really thoughtful, interesting voice in philanthropic scholarship. A lot of his work focuses on the same idea we've hit a bunch this season, that mega-philanthropy is undemocratic, that the voting public should decide how money is spent, not individuals. But he sees the same problem that Kelsey sees when it comes to protecting the world in the very long term. The story goes like this, that within the marketplace, if you're employed by a for-profit company, you have a built-in logic of competition in the marketplace in which rival firms are trying to put you out of business. Say you're a for-profit AI company. You're trying to make a new tool. You've got investors who have relatively short time horizons in which they want to see a return. And you've got customers that you have to please because if they don't purchase what you have on offer, then you go out of business too. Look at OpenAI's biggest competition, DeepMind, a company owned by Google's parent organization. They have a lot more money than OpenAI, but it's money from investors. OpenAI did recently get some investor money, but historically they've been funded by philanthropists, people worried about AI risk. Being corporate doesn't mean DeepMind ignores the risks, but they have a different set of goals driving what they do. And so effectively, you've got a relatively short time horizon in which to beat the competition, please your customer, and return something to your investors. The government is also not great at long-term risk projects. In public agencies in a democratic society, because the very logic of democracy requires that our representative stands for periodic elections, we also have relatively short time horizons. Let's say you're an elected official. You want to put money into teaching all high school students about safe AI so that one day, maybe, they'll build safe AI. If public officials want to use public dollars to take long time horizon bets, that's not likely to be a winning recipe for showing up two years, four years later at the ballot box and explaining to people that you risked a whole bunch of money and you're not sure whether there's a return. And if there is one, it'll come only in 20 years. So in the marketplace and in the government, the time horizons are pretty short. That's precisely what's not the case within philanthropy and in particular with foundations. So foundations, in virtue of their relative unaccountability, can decide to take 10-year, 20-year, multi-generational bets on things where there's no guaranteed success in the deployment of the money. Jan Tallinn can and has invested in groups that research AI's impact in 100 years' time. Organizations that look before they leap on releasing technology right now, that train new and careful AI coders. 
For Rob Reich, that kind of long-term planning is a role that philanthropy could play in a democracy. To put it in a wonky way, big philanthropy can be an extra-governmental mechanism of social experimentation that provides a kind of R&D arm for social policy that we should be unlikely to see happen within the marketplace or the government itself. All that being said, at one point in our interview with Jan Talen, I asked him, why not fight climate change? Why not alleviate global poverty by encouraging economic growth? He said, basically, if we go extinct, nothing else will matter. And then he told me that the other reason he likes AI risk is because it's something he can move the needle on. He asked me to do a thought experiment, to imagine a superior race of aliens is coming and that they'll be here in 20 years. The AI situation has some similarities, uh, but it has like one really important difference. And that important difference is that it's us who's going to build that AI. So uh, it's, uh, we have this degree of freedom, what kind of AI we are going to get on this planet. He's saying that because humans are building the AI, we can change how we build it. Alien risk is much harder to work on because we can't change the alien invaders. This, to me, is the crux of the challenge that people like Jan Tallinn pose. I hear the word alien, and my instinctive reaction is to ask, is this ridiculous? Is all of the stuff he worries about just sci-fi speculation by people who think regular charity is too boring? But lately I've been running another kind of thought experiment. Imagine the year is 1920. Imagine you're a nuclear physicist and you figured out that you can fire neutrons at uranium atoms, causing them to split apart and unleashing a massive amount of energy. You realize pretty quickly that this process could be used to make a bomb, a bomb capable of unimaginable destruction. If you had gotten up and said, there is a terrifying technology coming, every country on Earth has to promise that they won't weaponize it that they'll only use it to provide electricity. Maybe nothing would have happened. But maybe you could have prevented the worst arms race in human history, when they could still kill billions of people on a moment's notice. People like Tallinn think, basically, that they're like that 1920s physicist. That physicist would have sounded ridiculous also. His scenario would have sounded far-fetched, and if we eventually learned nuclear weapons weren't possible, he would have become a laughingstock. If we eventually learn artificial general intelligence isn't possible, we'll look back at people like Tallinn as fools as well. But the argument they're making is, we might be right, and it could be disastrous. Don't you want to be prepared? In my perfect world, figuring that out would be a job for the government. But in the world we have, I'm glad we have eccentrics like Jan Tallinn using charity to fill the gap. But next week... These were young tech billionaires whose wealth had been formed almost overnight, and they were very impatient. How the personality quirks of individual donors can really derail their do-gooding. 
Future Perfect is produced and co-reported by Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. We're mixed and scored by Jared Paul. Our fact-checking is by Laura Bullard. Music is by Poddington Bear, Chris Zabriskie, Noam Hassenfeld, and APM. Thanks to our voice actors, Harry Lowe and Claudia Milne, and to Hayden Belfield. Future Perfect is made possible through a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. To read more of our reporting on effective altruism, check out vox.com slash future perfect.